1: Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. And I'm here in the tap room with our co-host, Maria Cabre. What's going on, Maria? Hi. <laughs> yes, hello.
2: What are you cooking <laughs> for Christmas? Oh, what, boy. Well, you cook both days, right?
1: I cook Christmas Eve, and I cook on Christmas. Even days. though you're
2: not Latino, you do uh, celebrate Noche Buena because you're married to
1: Well, no, I an think no, wine. but that was part of my family, even with my dad's side, that we didn't do Christmas Day. We always did Christmas Eve. We, even with my Irish grandmother and my English grandfather, it was always Christmas Eve. <clears throat> always, like it, I've always. Had Christmas us. Eve.
3: When John was growing up in Barcelona,
2: <laughs> well, uh, <yeah. laughs> that's how they <laughs> celebrated. The exactly.
1: Holiday. Yes. <laughs> so, what are you cooking? Uh, ooh, so it'll be probably rib roast and uh, a whole turkey. Oh my god! What?
2: You have turkey at every single holiday. That's because
1: my turkey kicks ass. Oh, God. Yes, it does. I mean, people demand the turkey, so there must be something about it, right? I I guess. I'm just not going to, like, make turkey just because I want to make turkey because it's actually very laborious. You don't eat rib roast. Well, I know that. But I could do fish, right? But, like, there's not as many people that love a good salmon versus, like, a turkey. So, anyways, who's our first guest this week?
2: Our first guest has been the brewmaster at Allagash Brewing Company in Portland, Maine for 25 years. Founded in 1995, Allagash is one of the OGs of the craft beer industry and really put Belgian-style beers on the map in the U.S. It's one of the largest craft beer breweries in the U.S. and still wins numerous awards, including Brewery of the Year in 2021 and just this year at GABF. He is here to talk about Snow Report, their seasonal Saison, which Men's Journal recently named the number one best Christmas beer for 2023.
1: Welcome to the Beer Hour, Jason Perkins. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. its uh, I'm sure you guys have a little bit better weather than we do here in Miami.
2: <laughs> We're currently freezing. It's like yeah. 60, <laughs> 57. <laughs>
0: Well, it's 35, and we're in T-shirts,
1: so <laughs> Before we get into Snow Patrol, No, no it's Snow Report. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm> like, <what? laughs> but you like messing me up here. So before we get into Snow Report, let's learn a little bit about you and Allegash Brewing Company. So when and where did you begin your professional career as a brewer?
0: Uh, so I personally started, so I started as a home brewer, uh, like a lot of craft brewers do, um, in my college years. Yep. Uh, and then, really, as soon as I graduated from college, I um, started working at a small brewery in uh, Missoula, Montana, actually. A brewery called Kettle House that's still there. Um, are, really really making some really wonderful beer. Where are you,
1: where are you from, originally?
0: I'm from Vermont.
1: Okay. So So, how how did you end up in the I went to
0: college in Maine and then moved to Montana to, you know, go ski the mountains and do the go West explore kind of thing. Okay. Um, And at that point, that's when I got my first job at a brewery, the Kettle House Brewery in Montana. I worked there for a year and then moved um, kind of back to Maine, I guess you would say. Right. Um, And then worked for a small brewery in Freeport called Gritty McDuff's, Freeport, Maine. Sorry. Nice uh, for about six months. And then I started working at Allagash, um, for, for Rob, who's the founder and owner that I started here in 1999.
1: Whoa. Okay. So how did, how did you end up meeting Rob Todd, the founder of Allagash?
0: So I was literally knocking on doors. I, I, and it was kind of had gotten the bug of making beer for a living. And, um, you know, the, the job I had at Gritty McDuff's, uh, great folks there, but it was always intended to be a, a seasonal job during their real busy season. So I was kind of trying to knock on doors and, you know, not even emailing resumes because that wasn't really much of a thing back there. So walking around with a, a resume and a, and a manila envelope and, and uh, happened to knock on the door at Allagash and met Rob and his only other full-time employee at the time and just hit it off. And they happened to be in need of help. And I was looking for help and it's just kind of good fortune. Nice. Um, and it's been a been a he- heck of a ride. Like I said, when, when I started here, it was Rob, the founder, who's still, still the only owner of the company, still very, very active day to day here. Uh, and then one other full-time employee. Um, and that's kind of, and then one part-time employee and then that's it. And now we're about 150 employees and have grown tremendously over the wow. last 45 years.
1: So you joined in '99 what did you join as as a brewer or
0: yeah, I think that probably was my technical title was brewer. Um, you know, back then we did everything, you know, we, right. uh, brewed, packaged, you know, worked events, you know, did, you know, salesy type stuff, then working events at bars and throwing t-shirts around. <laughs> I kind of did a little bit of everything.
1: <laughs> what was, I mean, cause I've been there obviously, uh, recently within, within the last year, um, what was it like? What was Allegash like in those early days? What what was what was the setup, and how, how big were you guys back then?
0: So we're real small. We were making about five hundred barrels, six hundred barrels a year when I started. Oh. Um, we'll do about one hundred and twenty thousand barrels this year. Right. So just for scale, just pretty pretty crazy different. Um, and it was also a very different time in craft beer back then. Yes. Um, you know, we didn't have we had hardly any visitors. To come see us, and if you've been recently, you see we get a lot of visitors. It's oh, yeah. a big part of what we do—hosting yep. people, you know, uh, letting people try our beers, touring them around, stuff like that. We we would get a only handful of visitors a year. It just there wasn't the same interest in craft beer back then. And then on top of that, we were doing um, very different things to make Belgian style beers. In nineteen ninety-five, when Rob, Rob started, really through late two thousands, like no one around here was doing that. There were a lot of pale ales and stouts and brown ales like in, English style brewing was big here. So we, it ended up being good for us in the long run, but there was a period of time where uh, people didn't really know what to think of us. You know, Allagash white is our flagship and it's a cloudy beer. It's a beer brewed with spices. And we got a lot of, you know, why does your beer look funny and smell funny questions <laughs> right. in those early days? Um, so very, very different time back then.
1: Nice. Nice. I, I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners are wondering about the name Allagash. What does it exactly mean?
0: Yeah, so it's a, it's a, a river in northern Maine. Um, and, more, and even bro- more broadly, it's a, a waterway that's protected. It's called the Allagash Wilderness Waterway. A beautiful track of land that includes uh, the Allagash River and a series of lakes um, that are all connected and um, is now fully protected. As a well, as a wild place and uh, really spectacular part of Maine. So if you're if you're from Maine or if you're an outdoor person in New England and even the U.S., you, you would recognize that name. But um, to a lot of people, it's uh, it's just kind of a funny sounding name. <laughs> but that's where the name comes from. It's a very very kind of beautiful part of of Maine. Nice. About six hours north of here, so oh, not okay. close,
1: not close but, at all, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, you had alluded to it earlier, obviously, because of what you got, what styles you guys had started brewing when you guys had opened. I mean, can you kind of give the listeners a sense of what makes Belgian style beers different from, say, German style or British style beers in terms of brewing process and stuff like that?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a number of things that make, um, Belgian style beers distinctive. First I'll, I'll say just kind of as a not necessarily a specific thing, but um, the kind of uh, very open nature of, of ingredient use and, and techniques and so on is very wide ranging. So put another way, compared to German brewing, which I'm, I'm a huge fan of classic German styles, yes. um, huge yep. fan, yep. but they're, they are very rigid, right? Which is good and bad, like they're very st- stylistically specific. Um, you know, there's a German purity law of right. 1400s, that's still basically right. being followed. Right. Uh, right. And, and again, those beers are absolutely some of the most beautiful beers in the world, but they all fit in a very distinct box. Right. I mean, and
1: they're for, still, they're still a
0: little bit. English, yeah. English style brewing is a little bit like that too, but Belgian brewing kind of throws it all out the window. Uh, right. There are many beers in Belgium that you can't even fit in a style, right? Uh, you know, one of my favorite beers in the world is Orval. Yes. And Orval is just Orval. It doesn't, it's not style. It's, it's just Orval.
1: Right. It doesn't uh, fit. Yep.
0: Yeah. So that's like a, 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 I think a distinctive kind of characteristic of Belgian brewing is like, you know, brewing without walls or, or uh, preconceived notions, etc. cetera. Um, I will also say that um, yeast is a big part of obviously yeast is required to make all beer. But um, for a lot of beer, uh, yeast plays a background role. It, of course, ferments the sugars and creates alcohol and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. But from a flavor and aroma perspective, it it plays second fiddle to, say, hops, for example, in an IPA. Yes. Uh, Whereas we really kind of lead with yeast first. Right. Um, Yeast is uh, in almost all the beers we make is a distinctive characteristic of it. Yeah. Um, Spicy notes, fruity notes, um, you know phenolic notes, those kind of things are important cornerstones of these of those beers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say um, probably out of majority of beer styles, I think Belgian beers are pretty much led by yeast profiles. I mean, very much yeah. minimalistic on hop usage and very much more so with the yeast flavorings and the esters and the phenolics and stuff like that. I mean, th- throwing back to like in comparison to, you know, German style, where they're still following the Rheinskibute of you know water, yeast, hops, malt, and that's it. That you cannot add anything else. <laughs> I mean, I think majority of German style beers are lagers as well. I mean, you do have the Hefeweissens in there and Dunkelweissens and and stuff like that. But even those beers, I mean, do play a part, obviously, because we uh, one of our core beers is a Hefeweizen, yeah. which lends a very either clove or banana characteristic. <laughs> And, you know, you get the question, I think, a lot of times with that style as well as Belgian styles that, oh, you guys add spices to this beer or you put cloves in this or you put bananas. And it's actually, no, no, it's actually just the yeast doing its work, lending its flavor profile to the beers.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: The, um, so you guys let off and I think your main beer actually is Allagash White which has actually won four gold medals at the GABF for Great American Beer Festival. It's your signature beer. Do you mind describing that beer to our listeners?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is our uh, flagship, and it's the very first beer that Rob made when he opened the brewery in 1995, and still to this day, by a by long shot, is the majority of our production here. Um, and it is uh, it is modeled after uh, traditional Belgian-style Whit beer, white beer, sometimes called a white beer, sometimes called a wit beer. Uh, It's a style of beer that, depending on, you know, which historical text you believe has been around for, uh, you know, centuries uh, or more as a stylist style of beer, um, did kind of fall out of favor during periods of history. But, you know, it's really been a distinctive historical style uh, in Belgium for a long time. The kind of defining characteristics of the style are... um, a high portion of wheat uh, is used, both in most cases, both unmalted and malted wheat. Right. Um, typically, oats is used as well. We use both of those in ours, uh, and then spiced with coriander and orange peel. Yes, yeah. Uh, and again, we follow that kind of tradition there. Um, and very important, getting back to yeast, it's very important for it to be have a that style to be brewed with a distinctive. of white beer strain or whipped beer strain so much of the character comes from kind of the ester profile fruity ester profile that comes through um to do the beer correct well uh, that style well and i think we we do that we do that pretty well here uh is to find a balance of all these distinctive flavors so there's there's some spicy notes there's some fruity notes from the yeast there's citrus component there's wheat uh kind of base malt all those layers to it and if any one of those is out of balance, the beer can be can taste kind of muddled, or you know might taste like like curry, like for example, if you're using too much coriander. Right. Um, so finding a, a sweet spot with all those um, flavors to be blended correctly, and in the end, what we're hoping for is a beer that is both distinctive and interesting. So like no. we often like to say, if you're a beer geek and you want to geek all over Allagash White, we got we can do that all day long. We can talk about all the various components to make the beer and all the various flavor additions to it. So that works well for a, you know a brewer, or a beer geek. But if you just want a beer that you can crush and, right. and is yeah. refreshing and interesting, it's that too. So it kind of strikes that balance between both of those.
1: The uh, I mean, I I love that you guys have a main component as a Belgian wit. I mean, that's a, that's something that we struggled with actually because that Belgian wit strain depending because there's obviously numerous of so them was always very finicky and had at times would crap out too early and then you're left with too much sugar left in, in you know like too much sugar left in the beer left for this thick beer and it's always like you're fighting this battle for us when we were trying to <laughs> brew a Belgian wit to find that kind of like correct window on how to get it done with that yeast strain because it can be finicky But obviously, you guys have everything dialed in after doing this for so long, and that beer is an amazing beer to say itself. I mean, the other thing I think is, you know, obviously, sorry to, like, geek out here and go down a rabbit hole, but, like, when you're working with, obviously, lagers or other ales, such as, like, you know, British style, you have to keep them within a temperature range. And even when I was home brewing, Belgian yeast strains – can operate at much higher temperatures, and sometimes you want them to because you want them to throw those esters and phenolics, because that's what is really an essential part of the Belgian style of beers. And it's funny because I remember in the early days, like we we do, <coughs> we've done we've done doubles, we've done quads, we've done triples, we've done wits. I mean, we've done a whole bunch of, of Belgian styles, and it was always like, yeah, you don't really need to keep the. Uh, glycol running on that tank just just let it rock (laughs) i mean most of the time everybody's trying to work in a parameter between 62 to like 68 degrees and now it's like yeah just turn it off and let it go you know which i find crazy
0: yeah Yeah, for sure and our our house cheese which we use to make allagash white and and some other beers it it is pretty sensitive to temperature in terms of the flavors and aromas that it produces it's also pretty sensitive to to the food you give it Right. And an example of that would be you know, what we use the same yeast and white as we do in our our, in our triple, right? a nine percent, you know, gold nail. And Ooh. the aromatic profile of those two are, are so different, it's really fascinating. Same yeast strain in um, similar temperature ranges, even, but you're feeding it with you know, so much more sugar, it acts very differently, right? Um, we've even used our house yeast at like fermenting it close to like mid fifties. Right. To make like, a, and, and you almost get like lager like characteristics. Really, in So it's really interesting to see the influence you can have with yeast. We've never gone with our house yeast above 70 ish Fahrenheit, right. but we've right. had some Saison strains we've used. We've pushed, oh pushed yeah. 90 Fahrenheit.
1: Yeah. DuPont, like the DuPont strain is a, you know, a classic one yeah. that you just, you want it to run hot. You know right. what I mean? So yeah. that's, that's interesting. how much, how much white do you guys make a year at this point?
0: So our our white we're about eighty percent white here. Wow. So uh, so we're you know it's basically hundred thousand barrels of white, basically.
2: Jeez.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I mean, but you know what? I I mean, I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I think where the beer scene is right now, I think we've actually come back to a point where the days of brewing 300 different styles, you know what I mean? Or 300 yeah. different beers a year yeah. is gone. And it's seen more of a, fo- I mean, we're 10 years in now. And it's more of a focus mm-hmm. now that people want that core beer style. And they you run with that one core and then you have a couple of different beers. And you can do a, a few here or there, but really it's that focus on that one, core style you know what i mean and it makes sense that you guys have really you know kicked it off well with that one style and lead with that and make so many barrels of it i mean it's it's just proving the point because i'm seeing everybody else really narrow their portfolios down to very little and focus on one maybe three at most you know what i mean yeah
0: yeah yeah. And again, I, like I said earlier, I think the beer does find, it, it is a really nice balance of being really appealing to a wide range of people. Like there are people we meet here in our t- taste, taste room or out and about who like, it's literally the only beer they drink. They, yeah. and they might drink wine otherwise or other things. They don't drink any other beer because this is the only beer I drink. And then you, you know, go to a brewer's gathering, we bring our beer. All the brewers want to drink out. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah absolutely. You know
0: what it is. So I think it, it, it it fits a a wide range of uh, kind of consumer bases, which helps us, helps us sell a lot of it.
1: Yep. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, I know Allagash has been one of the largest and most successful breweries in the country. I mean, I think I read it was number 23 in production. I mean, you actually won brewery of the year as of recently of 2023. I mean this year and of 2021, what do you think has been the key to Allagash's long run of success?
0: You know, I think this is, it's kind of cliche, but it is 100%, in my opinion, due to our staff here and the crew we have here. We have, I mean, from Rob all the way down, Rob, like I said earlier, is the, you know, the founder still like could have long ago either sold the company or stepped, you know, hired a CEO and stepped away and he hasn't. He's very engaged day to day. And that leadership kind of trickles down all the way down to our entire staff and, we've got amazing tenure here I mean, we have people who have been here for 10, 15. I mean, I, I'm the longest tenure, but, I'm, but other than that, we've got a lot of really long tenured people here, passionate people who care you know, really deeply about, about quality, about um, efficiency, but still, you know, don't take themselves all that seriously. So good, fun, working environment. And so
1: <laughs> yeah, on. I got you. I think we just
0: really drive each other to, Always, always find a way to be better every every single year. Nice. Whether that's on you know on a beer thing or whether that's a employee benefit thing, like across the board, we really try to try to be better all the time.
1: Nice, nice. I, I kind of want to dive into. So, who who created Snow Report and when?
0: Yeah.
2: So it's not uh, snow, Patro- it's not, not snow to-
1: patrol. It's snow report. Okay. <laughs> Rocco. <Yeah. laughs> snow
2: patrol is a band. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: Snow report. Yeah. Yes. So I'll
0: try not to go too far down a rabbit hole, but it does give me an opportunity to talk about in general, how beers are made here. Um, and, and it's, it's just uh, it's something that I'm super proud of and passionate about here. And, and that's our, what we call our pilot program. So it's, yeah. it's been in existence for Probably 15 years to some in some capacity, but it has evolved and gotten a lot more sophisticated and better run. And um, I don't actually even run the pro; I participate in it, but I don't run it anymore. Right. Professor Chavanel, our <laughs> R&D brewer, does, and he does an incredible job with it. Um, but it's basically a team of people who are on this pilot team who kind of take in ideas from the whole company and kind of figure out a way to create beers from ideas. So we have a, a very open-ended method for any employee who works for us to submit an idea for a beer. So sometimes that idea might be a fleshed out uh, homebrew recipe. Other times it might be like, I had this delicious dessert my wife made for me. I want to make a beer that tastes like that.
1: Nice. Okay. And then
0: we intentionally make it very easy to submit an idea. And then that team of brewers will take the idea and create a recipe from it. And that recipe will then get brewed on our small, which is basically a 10 gallon, like a a really nice homebrew system. Those beers will get brewed and then put on our employee um, tap tower, get rated by staff on on preference and what they like about it, what they don't like about it. And we make about 100, maybe 120 of those a year. So we're brewing like twice a week usually. Wow. Okay. Um, And then out of those hundred-ish beers that we make a year at that size, maybe 10 of them, 12 of them get sized up to the next step. Okay. And for us, the next step is, um, here in the tasting room, we, we call it our from main with love series. So okay. it's from main with love and a number. Uh, I think we're up to 30 ish. Now I forget exactly where we are now. <laughs> right. um, and, and those are only sold here in the tasting room, but we do put them in cans and you can buy them or take away. And that's kind of like, I don't know, like the, um, the AAA uh, Baseball League, if you will. Right, no, I got you, uh, I got you, we, yeah. We can size it up, we can see how it's received, and then from there, the beers that do well, or we think could go further, then go to the next step, which is uh, distribution to our entire wow. uh, distribution footprint, which we're only doing like two or three uh, new ones a year, okay. in that case. okay. And uh, Snow Report is one of those that followed that path. So backing up, the idea itself came from, uh, Justin Kendall, who's a, one of our is our second shift packaging supervisor. So he works in the packaging team. He submitted an idea for a um, you know kind of a festive honey saison. We brewed it on the pilot system. Everybody loved it. We then brewed it last year and sold it in our tasting room as Tremaine with Love number something. I'm <laughs> right. number, but, yeah, I got you. Uh, and it was also really well received there. And then so then we decided to size it up. Um, and now it's hitting that national distribution Whoa, this okay. um, this fall slash winter as Snow Report. So that's kind of the way the evolution it, it this beer kind of shows in a perfect world how an evolution of a beer could work. Right. Um, to right. go through all those steps. Yes.
1: Nice. So h- how much Snow Report did you actually brew this season?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know that off the top of my head, but probably somewhere in the three or four hundred barrels. That's just
1: a guess. I mean, that. that's still a lot of beer. That's a lot of beer. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a lot of beer out there. I mean, that's that's a big number. That's that's awesome, though, man. Actually, that's awesome to see that it came from, obviously, the start of the experimental roots and worked and made the cut out of AAA into the major league. You know, and is now yeah. out there. That's that's awesome. I also, obviously, this isn't on the on the paper, but I give you guys shout out because I think if I'm not wrong, you guys were one of the first to really do a naturally fermented or open air fermentation, cool ship style in the United States. Am I wrong or am I right on that?
0: No, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. We started in 2007. Um, yep. What we called the project for a long time, because it, it was like an experiment for a long for several years where we were kind of uh, setting out to, uh, explore i guess the myth if you will that um spontaneously fermented beers lambic style beers could only be made in belgium yep. specifically some kind of magical radius around brussels that was kind of the conventional wisdom at the time really i think that's more of a historical thing more than it's a there's not like there's a magic magic east that's in the air, air around that area but that was to some degree what the thought was at the time um and because we had our roots in Belgian-style brewing, we kind of wanted to test that out. So, yeah, we put in a, a cool ship in 2007, brewed for the first time in November 2007, and um, now uh, we're actually brewing today. We're brewing a, a spontaneous batch today. They tend to brew in November and December only.
1: Where can, you know, for those that are listening out there and, you know, for all of SiriusXM Radio, where can they find your beer around the country? Where would be the best bet to be able to find your beer?
0: Sure. Yeah. So we've got a, um, we're not everywhere, but we do have a pretty wide distribution footprint. So we're, uh, effectively on every, in every state along the Atlantic coast. So, you know, from Florida up to Maine, we're in every one of those states. Um, and then from there we jump all the way out to, uh, Illinois and Wisconsin. Nice. So nowhere in between, um, <laughs> and just for the record, Pennsylvania, uh, I guess I would in- make sure to include in the Atlantic East Atlantic, uh, oh. touching States, if you will. Um, and then uh, California. Nice. So, and we're in the entire state of California as well. That's so, awesome. Um, not everywhere, but a good chunk of uh, major metropolitan areas anyway.
1: Absolutely. That is that is a big chunk of major metropolitan. Get a good uh, footprint out there. So I do have one last question for you. So how do you yourself most enjoy snow report? With food on Christmas Day, maybe itself on Christmas Eve? I mean, is it a good beer to leave out for Santa? Like, I mean, do you think Santa drinks Belgian <laughs> beers?
0: Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great, I will say it's a great food, food beer because of how, um, you know, it's got a nice balance of it's dry. If you were to measure the, uh, the sugar content, it's pretty dry, but because of the honey it perceives with some sweetness. some nice body to yeah. it. Um, but it's also being a 8.6% honey beer. It's got <laughs> that nice kind of warming character to it. So right. uh, my personal preference is probably just sitting on my couch um, nice. enjoying it after a long day, maybe, I mean, I love to recreate in the winter time. I'm a big winter fan, but, um, so after skiing or whatever, but, uh, anything after a long day, sitting on the couch and enjoying that, that's probably would be my, my number one preference.
1: So for those of you in Miami right now with this cold weather, you should go get some snow report because it would definitely warm you up during these fifties and sixties down here. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's
0: right. It's, all rel- it's all relative.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time, man. It has been awesome to be able to chat with you. And, uh, yeah, we're big fans. Yeah, we are. We're big fans. That's yeah, awesome.
0: So, thank you. It's my pleasure.
1: Thank you for taking time out of your day, and we hope you have a good holiday.
0: Same to you. Thanks so much. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture.
2: Our last guest of 2023 is one of the foremost authors, journalists, and podcasters in the world of craft beer. His website, All About Beer, is an entertaining resource for well-written, carefully curated content about all things craft beer. He hosts the popular podcast Drink Beer, Think Beer, and co-hosts Steal This Beer. His articles have appeared in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, and NPR. He's here to recap the year that was in craft beer and give us a preview of twenty twenty four.
1: Welcome back to the Beer Hour, John Hall. It is great to have you on the show again. It's always a it's, it's a pleasure.
3: <laughs> it's wonderful to be back. Thanks for having me. It's uh, I'm 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 a fan. I'm a subscriber to the to the satellite radio, so when I catch you when I'm in the car, I'm all I'm, I'm, all, I'm like, hey, I know those guys.
1: <laughs> I, I still think we need to do an episode where we get John and Augie on at the same time. I mean, you know, like it it, it would not that be...
2: That'll have to be like a three-part, one-hour series each.
1: Like, no, 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 like all together, you know, in one episode and jam it out.
3: Cause... Yeah, but see, the fun thing is, though, I, I, we, and we can do it in person, and then John, you, me, Maria, and Rocco, we can go just to the bar and have some drinks and Augie won't even know that we're gone and he'll just talk for the entire time exactly exactly and then we can come back after a couple of pints and he's you know so to wrap up my first point exactly and, exactly. and then we can just go right into the second question it'll be great
1: amazing amazing so <laughs> so before we get into the year in review update us on what's new in the wonderful world of John Hall columns books podcasts like what have you been up to this year i
3: i think i think the big thing is uh this year it's all about beer and and literally that's all about beer that's that's the the magazine right. the website uh it you know Andy Crouch and I a fellow beer writer uh we acquired the brand i guess last year it's it's been over a year now nice. but we've really been putting our efforts in 2023 into bringing beer news back and podcasts back and um just great original beer journalism and telling the stories that are out there, and that, that that's always been my passion. So, um, putting the work into all about beer and working with journalists and working with uh, um, uh, content creators and, right. and creating new things—it's been fun. I uh, I think it probably couldn't
1: come at a better time for the industry, to be honest. Okay.
3: I mean, I, why I, is that?
1: I just because I think the industry. I mean, I think actually we're missing. You know, like I just had this conversation with Rocco the other day, like in Miami. No one writes about beer anymore. Like, it's become a dead subject down here. But it's like the industry to me as a whole, and, I, and it's not just me, I mean, because we've fallen on hard times, and, I mean, we're struggling and surviving, you know, but it's not just me. It's everybody out there, you know what I mean? And it's I think the that um, fire or passion or, like, uh, fanboyism of, of craft beer is kind of waned.
3: And, you know, what's interesting for me, so I – came to writing about beer from a hard news background so I covered right. politics I covered crime I covered breaking news so i'm I'm used to covering bad news or disappointing right. news and right. I think that you're right that there was a time where there were a lot of the sites that were out there that were going along with the good times it's just yes. wow this is awesome and there's lines around the corner and this is a sellout festival and this is you know it's sold out in seconds things like that and it's fun to write about fun things when fun times are happening it's a lot harder and and, and for the last year um, andy has gone through this i've gone through this you know um you know we're writing a lot more stories that have a lot of sadness in them yeah. where i'm talking to people and you know at the beginning of covid right we're writing about covid and everybody's in the same panic together about what's going on and, and how we're going to get through it and I, I remember talking with somebody saying as a reporter, I almost felt like these were therapy sessions because yes. before we would get into talking about somebody's fear, we'd, you know, be talking about you know how scared we are and and you know what our kids are going through and, and, and all of that. And then you'd get into to, to covering the news. But these days, there's just there's so much worry there's you know the news of closures have become commonplace now yep. um you know a, a lot of the the unpleasantness that that has come out of the industry um and brought to light over the last couple of years you know is still happening all the time and i think that the people who are only used to writing about citra and mosaic they, they're they're having a tough time sort of handling it and that, that that's painting with a broad brush no
1: but, i no, i absolutely agree yeah. with that i agree with that i mean because listen i mean i have plenty of stories to tell you just within the last year and a half. You know what I yeah. mean? Running skeleton crew where it's just me and Maria working in the brewery now. You yeah. I mean? It's, it's, Yikes. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's different. You know what I mean? But it, it's, I think the landscape has changed. But I mean, hopefully the stories to be told will actually shed a better light on the industry and not just this thing of like, oh, hey. You know, we we don't. You know, we had a line that went a block and a half. Like those days don't exist anymore. Now it's like true grind, and people aren't doing three hundred different beers a year. They're focusing on like three core brands or one true flagship, and that's what they're pushing. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, and and I think that's also what consumers want as well. And I I think the big story for me that has come out over the last year is that return to stability in what people want in their pint glass and you know people are talking about um you know 12 packs now and it's not necessarily variety packs, so they're out there but people want to buy 12 packs now and they want 12 12 ounce cans of the same thing and they want consistency and when some brewers and this is not you guys but when some brewers were turning out 300 beers a year maybe four of them were okay no right Right. And the rest were, you know, there's a lot of mediocrity that was happening in the beer space, and there still is. And I think consumers kind of caught up with that and saying, yeah, the Citra Mosaic IPA is, it's just okay, but it's also 25 bucks a four pack. Right. And my grocery bill has just gone up by 70%. Yep. And Bell's Two Hearted tastes pretty good. Yes. You know, and it, it's things like that where, Oh yeah, I, I, it, it's a good natural adjustment for the industry, and I think a lot of the folks who saw those early days of you all, where it's lines around the corner and selling out in minutes and things like that, they're like, "Oh, I can get it on this too," and didn't realize the hard work, didn't realize the oh. the importance of yeah. consistency and you know the necessity of having a flagship or the necessity right. of having you know something that you're well known for that you do well and those those proverbial chickens are coming home to roost.
1: Oh, no, yeah. I I always thought along the lines as going through this, like, yeah, this was great. Did I think it would last forever? No, but obviously, you know, I didn't want it to go away, but it did. But it's like... Yeah. We always had course from the jump, but it was like I knew there would be a thinning of the crops when it came to that, as far as how many people jumped in to just start brewing craft beer and not realizing, you know what I mean? But it's like... um it's like, you know, now we're down to, uh, you know, we still do sours because that's what yeah. we're known for. People want them down. Sure. There. Uh, we do less barrel aged stouts because people don't buy them. They don't. They sit on yeah. shelves. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Uh, now it's more we're pushing our West Coast style IPA. That's our flag, our Hefeweizen, you know, uh, a lager. Huh. And it's like, that's what people
3: want. That's what people want to drink. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, right? It's I, I as somebody who travels a lot and likes to travel, I i It was cool for a little while that I could come to a city like Miami and I could visit eight or nine breweries all within walking distance. Right. 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 But after you get to the third one, having visited you guys first, it's like, oh, why did I leave? Right. You know, wait, like, why did I leave the brewery? to drink this and i think that that's happening in other cities you know as well and when i walk into a place that only has hazy ipa on which was the case for a while that also gets kind of boring so like when i can go to and drink a west coast ipa which has some vibrancy to it or a hefeweizen which is awesome like that's fun to see that style come back or just honestly sitting around and having a couple of lockers i think that's what We all want, and as we all get older, I think that's where we're we're headed as well.
1: I agree with that absolutely. So let's put a uh, red bow per se on 2023. What were some of your favorite new beers from 2023, and why? If you had at least give me three of them.
3: Yeah, there's there's a few that have 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 popped up, and it's not necessarily specific beers, but I've sort of come down to these breweries with intention these places that have opened up and figured out exactly what they want to be and how they want to be doing it. And, so they're not trying to be everything to everybody. And there, there's a there's a brewery in Illinois called Goldfinger, huh. uh, and they're do- yeah they're just south of O'Hare Airport. They're in Downers Grove, and all they're doing is lagers. Nice. And you know they're trying Polish pilsners. And um, Thomas Beckman has just created this relatively new style in American zeugel, uh based on the German zeugel, uh brewing traditions, where um, uh, it's old world hops. It's um, uh, non barley adjuncts uh as the base oh. um you know and it's it's small community beer um yes. but he's just doing really great lagers with intention he doesn't want to do hazies he doesn't want to do west coast right. ipas or have or anything he wants to be a great lager brewer, and he's doing it well it's sort of like what beer uh, in colorado right, has been exactly. doing yeah um in that same vein, uh up in Georgia, not too far from you, uh in Good uh, Goodword Brewing in Duluth, Georgia, yes, yep. is really focusing on good, small beers. You know, I know you you, you guys know Todd, um, but good, small, low ABV, sessionable beers, English style beers. Um, you know, again, he, he said to me once uh earlier this year, you know, every once in a while somebody comes in and says, you know, but you don't have any hazies on tap. And it's like, well, does that mean you'd come in more? And they're like, No. Of course not, but you know, <laughs> right. you don't have any hazy sometimes. It's like, well, then why am I going to add a hazy for? So it's it's brewing with intention. And then um, there's another brewery called Benchtop uh, out of Virginia, which uh, which I had earlier this year. Which again, they're really focusing in on perfecting recipes. They're doing some English style stuff. They're doing some Hefeweizen. have had some Rauk beers, some smoke beers from them, um, and it's just really neat. Uh, you know, smart stuff where the brewers are thinking about, okay, what do we want to be if we're not going to be something for everybody? And so, um, yeah, those are, those are just sort of some of the standouts. Nice,
1: nice. I mean, we definitely work in an industry where styles fall in and out of favor every few years, if not every year, actually. I mean, yeah, you know, that's the way it seems. Like, is there a new style trend that you identify with 2023 or maybe ones from before that are kind of coming back, like, into the circle. You
3: know what I mean? I, I I think malt's back in the conversation in a way that it hasn't been in quite some time. Uh, I when when New Belgium got rid of Fat Tire as we know it, the, the the classic amber ale, there were a bunch of breweries in Colorado that sort of rushed to fill that void. And yes. we're not talking huge sales numbers, but there's definitely a nostalgia for some of that uh you know, that nutty, that sweet, um uh, you know, some of those fun sugar Attributes that a, that an amber ale can bring in, and so we saw like Crooked Stave. Uh, they did a beer called Retired, which was their homage to uh, to 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 right. Fat Tire, and right. and it did really well. People lined up to 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 get that beer, but I think that's you know some of the Scotch ales, some of the Belgian ales that use um, uh, some of those classic yeasts, but again, go towards that uh, recognizable malt, malt bill yeah. are entering that conversation as well, and and you know we see that also with West. Coast IPA right yeah. i mean i think that enters into that conversation which is why it's selling so well it's not just that 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 hop snap but it's um uh it it's that it's that you know caramel malt yes. characteristic to it that crystal malt characteristic to it
1: right and not a uh you know you're not full off of drinking one pint of that you know what i mean it's like this, exactly. this heavy mouth feel it's actually got decent body but clarity in the beer itself and then you have some christmas from the hops and not just I mean, no, no knocks on on hazies,
3: but I think no, I get you
1: can, it. You know what I mean. I think you can drink yeah. more than one.
3: And you know, I, I guess the only other style that I'm really curious to see how it takes off or if it does. But when Anchor Brewing announced that it was closing earlier this steam year, beers. yeah, uh, Steam Beer, or, or commonly known as California Common, because Anchor still owns the trademark on Steam, right? But the California Common, I saw a whole bunch of breweries rush to create that style again and i don't know if it'll ever take off right. uh i doubt it i doubt it will right. but it's it was nice to see, to see some of that resurgence you hear and read different things obviously we had talked about this in
1: the, in the lead up about the health of the industry overall i mean here in miami for instance some breweries have closed and as someone who writes and talks about beer so much Yeah, what is your take on the overall health of the craft beer industry in the U.S. as we move into 2024?
3: It's it's so complicated to answer that question, but I think a lot of people are going to leave this year feeling like everything is a little bit weakened, and and I don't disagree with that. But I also think that it is poised for some of that rebirth and some of that regeneration, and you know it's it. Somebody earlier this year used that brush fire analogy that you need you know, the fire to come through every once in a while for that new growth to happen, right. and things are going to get lost in the meantime, but the breweries that are – diversifying their portfolios, the ones that are thinking about their community, the ones that are thinking about their distribution footprints and, you know, what is actually enough? Do I need to be in 50 states or can I just be in, you know, half that? Or do I need to leave my county? Do I even need to leave my tap room? Um, all of those tough conversations that are happening for the ones that can come out of this on the other side, it's going to make them stronger going into it. And you know, it's not just enough, as we were saying before, to have a brand new beer every week that gets somebody excited. You have to have that consistency. And I think that breweries are now realizing that they have to treat themselves like restaurants, that they have to treat themselves like bars. And how do you do that? You give the people what they want. And for a long time, there was a lot of this preciousness about the industry. of like, well, I'm never going to put my beer in cans or I'm never going to make a hazy or I'm never going to. The ones who have pivoted and and gone to that and done it well and done it with intention, like those brewers that I mentioned before, um, I think are the ones that are, you know, that are that are smart and that 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 will survive. And, you know, the ones who, you know, opened up at either the wrong time or made, you know, tough financial moves or ones that they thought would never catch up with them because, you know, every Saturday we're selling out our multiple cases of right, cans, right? And they weren't thinking long term. Yeah, those are the ones that are gone, and it, it it's sad when anybody has to close. Like it Absolutely. really is yeah. because people put their hearts and dreams into it. But it's also a business, and yeah. restaurants close all the time, and you know businesses close all the time. And in a saturated market where the consumer of craft hasn't really grown in the last ten years, right. you know that those pieces of the pie are getting a lot, lot smaller. So. Somebody's going to get squeezed out. So it's, I, I I think the overall industry is in flux, and the next couple of years are going to be really lean for a lot of folks. Yes, yes. Um, and I, you know, I wish it was a little bit rosier, but uh, there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of worry that's happening on the horizon. Oh, right Oh, that's now. facts. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. facts. But looking forward to 2024,
1: do you see any styles that you think might be jumping out? Hop water. Really, yeah, hundred really? percent hop water. Yeah, I mean, we've actually we. Can yes.
2: you explain to our yeah. listeners, Mister sure. Hall? Sure. Um, so is.
3: it's it's it it is a sparkling non-alcoholic seltzer or club soda or you know however you want to describe that, but a seltzer, a non-alcoholic seltzer, that is hopped like an IPA. And it pours clear, and it's got this nice citric acid bite to it. Uh, but you can, you know, some some breweries are flavoring it with, you know, mango and peach, and then adding Citra and Mosaic or El Dorado or right. whatever. And you're getting, you know, I've been drinking a lot of non-alcoholic beer this year uh, and non-alcoholic drinks this year, and I have found that the hop waters scratch the itch for a social beverage in a beer setting in a way that NA beer doesn't always. Right, I agree with that. I know? mean,
1: because yeah. I mean, I've done my research on NA beers and then unless you have a good chunk of money for the equipment needed, it's not necessarily easy to pull off. And then those like, even those, I mean, you are leaving, it's basically just de you know, beer that can al- almost sometimes feel like it's just a malt mess. I feel like. Yes.
3: Yeah. There, There's, there's, yeah, I do a lot of blind tastings and there are, telltale signs for most na beers where they smell like warts they smell like unfermented beer um or they have this this train break rubber type aroma to them as well and i can pick them out blind almost immediately of oh this is going to be somebody's na um the larger companies the heineken's the guinness um that are out there that are making their na versions those actually taste like heineken and guinness and they're, they're good in those situations, but there's something about the hop water that I think fits into the craft beer um, arena where I can have one of those 19.2-ounce cans if I'm out, and I want to keep having something, uh, but I need to get home or I need to work the next day. Right. Switching to those hop waters is, is great, or in the middle of the day if I'm doing a show like this, having one of those instead of having the beer that I might have had in the past helps me get through the rest of my day Absolutely, and yeah uh sierra nevada's come out with one revolution has one now um there's you know, lagunitas has them i mean they're they're coming out more and more yep. and i i i like them and i think that it's it's one of those things where you know and, and quickly it, it it's that it's that aesthetic as well and it, it's the feeling like I'm in that beer space I, I remember being down at your brewery earlier this year and being introduced to liquid death the the canned right, water right and I've bought it since then and I know you I mean you had pallets of it yes. um uh out there for everybody but it is there's something oh and it's it's so wasteful and it's so weird but uh drinking water out of a can in a beer setting, feels a little bit more normal than getting one of those crinkly bottle pull and spring things in in your hand. There's something that's just aesthetically more pleasing as a drinker. And And I think that hop water is in that way as well. Sorry, Maria. No,
2: no, it's fine. I think also people don't question whether you're drinking a beer or not. They just assume, like, let's say you're a recovering alcoholic and you'd rather have a hop water. Obviously people are not going to question it when they see you have a drink in your hand and they don't know your background Right. of yeah. what your your it's you know, a social
1: setting thing your your yeah, yeah. struggles are <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah or like you said yeah. like maybe you don't want to drink because you work the next day the hop water kind of masks that whole um that whole thing like why aren't you drinking why aren't you you know that peer yeah. pressure of people telling you yeah. why you're not drinking
1: <laughs> what will the halls be drinking at their holiday celebrations this year
3: that's a a wonderful question um Every Christmas Eve, I have a tradition of drinking uh, the Duchess. The yes, uh, I know what the Duchess. The yeah, Vagiano. Tell the listeners what the Duchess is. Por favor. Go ahead. John. Yeah, the, the 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 Duchess is a Flanders red. It tastes like balsamic vinegar. <laughs> and it's like the primary note that comes off of it. And I have this essay that I run on all about beer every year now on Christmas Eve of one of the first years that I had a, a few extra bucks in my pocket before uh, I started writing about beer. Uh, there's something about the this classic belgian label that called to me and it was you know more money than i usually spent on beer and i got it and i i made my way through it over the course of an afternoon when i was just kind of sitting at home and christmas lights and everything and it was just this really nice special thing so every year i i drink that on christmas eve and then uh you know christmas day i think it's 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 going to be um yeah probably some 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 stouts early on in the day like some middle abv like no adjunct or barrels and then increasing into uh into to some of the more uh, whiskeys type stuff before the bourbon comes out. Oh, I was gonna that say, do the... you
2: do you just stick to beer? Do, are you? Oh no
3: no no! Okay. There'll be there'll be there'll be wine at the table. There'll be uh, bourbon afterwards. It's uh, um. But I also have I have a, a six year old, so one we're gonna be up early on Christmas morning, and then two like you know the next day we're gonna be um you yes. know just uh uh playing with all the toys so it, nice. it's just not going to be a, a super late night i'm yeah. going to give this to maria so the pr- correct name is duchess de
2: bourgogne de yes. bourgogne yeah bourgogne yeah.
1: yeah yeah yes so i had to have the voice that actually speaks french
3: it's hard to pr- it's hard to pronounce and it's one of those things where as a writer now that i do a lot of radio and i do podcasts and everything uh getting these pronunciations right is 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 important but it's also terrifying <laughs> yes <laughs> that's why have yeah, when, do I'm, in, it. when that's I'm in print I Maria do it. that's up to the reader that's up to the reader to, yeah. to figure out how to pronounce it if i'm just writing stuff down but yeah yes. yes so well thank you very much john this is always
1: an entertaining conversation and uh we hope to have you back on again this is uh always delightful and i wish you a very merry christmas and happy holidays brother and hope to see and you
3: and, to, and to you three thanks for having me back this is it's a it's it's a real pleasure and uh, when this airs if I'm in the car with my daughter again like we were last year, she was very excited yes. uh, that I was famous to be on your show and listening in. <laughs> uh, she, she was so excited. And um, I'm on that show I, I again, hope sweetheart.
2: I, yes. Yeah, That's I awesome. hope I
3: I hope I can I hope I can earn that credit again. All right. Thanks, John. Have a good one, man. Thanks so much. All right. That's it
1: for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Jason Perkins and John Hall, our co host Maria Cabre, our producer Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thanks for starting your weekend with us. You can catch us each Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a
0: review. Happy holidays, and we'll see you in the new year. And remember, people, the thirst is real.